Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. We've got a thrilling team sprint to break down for you from the Olympics here. We're entering the home stretch. There are a couple of races left, but uh, we'll get through today, take a little break, and be back at the weekend. Hope you're enjoying the podcast, enjoying the Olympics. We're right here with this episode for you in a second after this message. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Boulder Nordic Sport the industry-leading resource for cross-country skiing equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. If you're looking to tour at a local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sports' passionate staff can help you get the perfect gear for your cross-country skiing experience. Visit bouldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country and download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine. Check out the Boulder Nordic YouTube channel for extensive waxing how-tos. Ski inventory is challenging this season, but Boulder Nordic Sport is receiving new gear every week, including the new floor-free race waxes from Holman Cole and Rodi. Check out your options at bouldernordic.com. We're making Norwegian and Swedish tabloids, which is bad enough because this is supposed to be kind of like a gorilla thing that no one listens to. That's what this that's that's what the point of this was. It's kind of grown a few too many heads for my liking but whatever I, I think that uh i think that the like norwegian and swedish reporters like need to actually find some better shit to be doing at the olympics than listening to the devin kershaw podcast no offense but hey, Mo, you know, no, no, if, no offense it's dead true don't listen to this well uh should we do this there's there's some there's some good stuff to talk about from today yeah Let's get into it. I can hear in your voice that you're starting to you're starting to be a little haggard. You know what I mean? Like people that go to oh, all inclusive results, people that go go to all inclusive resorts, and you get to day five, and you've been drinking just the cheapest, worst rum and vodka. Essentially, you're drinking straight rubbing alcohol from eight in the morning till three a.m. every day, and you get to day five. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting from you. But we're gonna bring up the energy a little bit because today, like we talked about relays and well the men's distance relay was an abomination it was so boring but the women's relay was awesome and this both the races were so awesome don't you think yeah definitely i mean uh i mean i think that the men's racing was a little more like normal men's racing but you know still like suspense all the way up till the end and then the the women's race was just like maybe we should just try to maybe we maybe they should just hold 12 women's races and uh and cancel the men since uh you know the men are just kind of sulky pouty wusses and the women are delivering epic exciting oh. results like day after day after day so oh yeah. for sure the women the women's races at these olympics have just been absolutely outstanding although i'm going to be a bit counter to what you said i thought the men's sprint relay was awesome even though the heavy hitting teams delivered in the end i, I was I was wildly impressed with the final. I think the semifinals for the men were some of the worst. I'm going to go down the record and say it was the worst team sprint experience ever. People were just going like zone one, which is as, which is what you got to do. I mean, if you're Norway, if you're Finland, if you're, if you're uh, Russia, like why would you use any energy in the semifinal when you look at the start list and know, I only have to be top four in each heat and I go through automatically. So I get it. But like the semifinals for the men was just, just a waste of like, just a waste of time. It was awful. But, but um, the final, I did really, I did really find insanely exciting, but for the women getting right into it, 
all all the big name teams made it through to the final. There was no big surprises. So we're going to just skip over the semifinals. Well, can, can I can I make a quick note about the semifinals? Actually, um, I did think okay. it was noteworthy that uh, that the the U.S. men or sorry, the U.S. women had like the luckiest of lucky draws in the in the semifinals. And you know, maybe it doesn't end up being a factor in the end. But like, you know, you had I think Russia. I guess they had Germany in their heat, but other than Germany, it was like there was there was Russia, Norway. Sweden, Finland, all in that second semifinal, and the U.S. was in the first one. So it was like they definitely had no, you know, not that anyone was making excuses, but you know that that was definitely sort of like the the red carpet was rolled out for the U.S. into the finals. Today. Totally. No, that that's that. I get to bring that up. That is dead true, and I know we're going to get questions about it, like who decides w- which team is in each semifinal, and I'll try and explain that quickly. So you have like. You have sprint points, okay? So you have fist points for sprint and fist points for distance. And usually it's ranked, your your fist points for sprint get ranked first. And if you don't have great sprint fist points, then they use your distance fist points. And then it's a draw. So they, they actually draw. And it's super confusing when you look at start list sometimes because you'll see like semifinal number two goes in the first heat and everyone's weirded out. But that's just how the ranking, that's just how the ranking goes. And so wh- why was the US in a heat with, uh, less quote unquote big name players than the other semifinal. You got to think like how many sprints does Kirtu Niskanen do lately? What are Kirtu Niskanen's fist points for sprinting? Like they're, they're probably horrible. I don't have them right in front of me, but she's not a, she's not known to be a sprinter. Parmakowski hasn't been that great in sprints lately either. And um, so that's how a powerhouse team like Finland can be placed with a doll Chris Sundling team, for example. And yeah, Henning is, is good in classic sprints once in a while, but I mean, in skate sprints, she doesn't even start them. So again, like you, you, you have a situation where maybe the German team could have been um, ranked on paper worse than the team actually is. And that's just the, the nuance of how they, how Fist has decided to rank the teams. I think, I think honestly, I'm not, I'm not trashing Fist on how they do it. I, I think there probably is no better way. So uh, it was, it is like you said, just lucky that the U S were able to, to get it done or like get a lucky break to be in the first semifinal, which gives you 20 minutes more, 20 minutes more rest. And then also uh lighter competition, the lighter competition and being in the first heat was just total luck. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, you know, so they, they kind of stroll into the finals. Everyone else does. I don't think there's not much to say, but yeah, Holy cow. That, that final was uh, pretty awesome to watch, huh? Oh my God. It had it all. That final had it all. And, I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but uh, I was really sad to see that uh, Tyrell in this Wang's pole got broken on her, on one of her early legs that put Norway like right out of contention. So on her second leg in the final, her pole was broken and it took Norway right out of contention. Mikan tried so hard in her second round to, to get contact again, but, she couldn't get on the back of the skis and then Tyrell's out there by herself. So I just feel bad. I wanted to mention that quickly because Tyrell got taken out in a four by five relay. Um, that wasn't really her fault. And then getting a pole broken that, that happens in team sprints. That happens in sprints. There's part of the game, but, but it was too bad for Norway and they weren't going to contend when you saw how the whole thing played out in the end, but still, it's still uh it was still a bummer, but let's just fast forward right to the, to the showdown. I don't know if you were noticing this, but like, I think Henning, like, I mean, I go on and on about Teresa Johag's classic technique, especially double polling and, and, and diagonal striding. 
now how how great it's been. But if you want to see a textbook on how to ski diagonal stride in the women's field, Henning skiing was so outstanding. And the fact that she was hitting her kicks and taking her speed with her over the over all the into the downhills, she was doing everything right. And what a performance by Henning. Like absolutely unbelievable. Not unbelievable. I shouldn't say unbelievable. She's been so good, but it was beautifully executed. And then Victoria Carl, again, we've talked about her on the on the show before, like back in the days, world junior champion, big, huge hope for Germany. Uh, has had some top tens in the World Cup, but it's been a it's been a difficult way to top form, difficult road to top form. And then at these Olympics, she's been so good. Like in a relay, she was great. And the moral of the story, both today and in the four by five relay with Carl, is how disciplined she is. She knows she can't smash on the climbs. She knows that. And instead of just trying to play the game, instead of trying to play other people's game, she says, nope, I'm going to hold a little bit back, like you said with Schlickenrider the other day. Super disciplined, great race plan. And in the finishing stretch, when it was Sundling versus uh, Carl, I'm like, okay, well, Sundling's just going to take this. But did you notice that like Carl pressed Sundling? And then what the hell was Sundling doing jumping in the tracks? Why did you jump in the tracks? Uh, the race looked like it was over anyway. Sundling looked like she had run out of energy. But regardless, you saw the difference right away. Sundling jumps in the track and Victoria Carl gets those extra meters she essentially didn't need because she was closing so well. But uh, <laughs> Carl secures a gold medal for Germany. Who in the hell would have called that one? Nobody. So what a fantastic well, race. So, and, and I'm going to blow your mind even more about this because, you know, one of the great fortunes of being here is that uh, we get some intel. And the intel is that Victoria Carl didn't even wake up this morning knowing that she was going to race in this race. It was uh, Sauerbrei was on the start list and Sauerbrei woke up with a sore throat, a little bit of a scratchy throat, headache, and, you know, so much super props to Sauerbrei for being honest with her team. She says, you know, I'm not feeling that well. Um, German team had prepped Victoria Carl like she was going to race. However, the other thing is that Carl was also already supposed to be racing in the team sprint. But then after I think Sauerbrei crushed the relay, they had taken Carl off of the relay team. So Carl goes from hero to zero to hero they put her on the team this morning she had done race prep like she was gonna race just in case uh and then you know turns out she's on the starting line and then she ends up just being the 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 hero here which is just like it doesn't get like more epic olympic story than that i don't think no no that's completely crazy and the poise she skied because people don't understand how much energy it takes to be a spare and especially how much energy it would take when you've prepared leading into the championship, thinking you're going to do the team sprint and then having a teammate who you're super pumped about. They're all friends. Like Schlickenreiter talked a lot about that, how they've really spent a lot of time building good team cohesiveness. But regardless, when you had been thinking you're doing the team sprint and then a teammate crushes at the Olympics and then you get knocked out at the games, that's crushing blow. Like that's hard to take. And the fact that she's, still kept her head on her shoulders to prepare as best she can as the spare and then came out and not only like 
made good on her opportunity, but skied with such poise and, and intelligence. Victoria Carl has skied so intelligently out there by not jumping in the tracks in the last 150 meters to the finish line that we saw. We saw the men do that, but the women, some people were in the tracks, some people weren't. Victoria Carl was disciplined enough to know that outside the tracks was faster. She was disciplined enough to know that like when people started going absolutely bananas on the climbs, that that's not her strength. And if she tries to match that, that acceleration of like a Parmakowski, she's going to blow up. So she doesn't, she doesn't follow that game. And in the end, Germany leaves with a gold medal in the team sprint. They have a silver medal in the four by five K relay. This has been such a great championship country skiing at large because really women's skiing has been exciting with or without Germany. Um, but it's in the men's side of things that like cross country skiing, is in a, I'm not going to say a crisis, but it's, it's a bit, it's a bit thinner on the, the men's side as far as depth, but, but uh, what a great performance. And I mean, Sunling did look tired. She did try to go with the Parmakowski acceleration. She had to come back a little bit too. She wasn't right, right on there for that last leg. She used a lot of energy. I don't know if you noticed on that first hill, she had to run. She was like running and that costs you big time. I don't care if you're uh, a world champion and Olympic champion. She, she had to use that energy to get herself into a bit better position. So it was the right decision for Sundling to do that. But in the end, she just ran out of gas and we're not used to seeing Sundling run out of gas, but I hope the Swedish fans aren't, aren't too, too disappointed. A silver medal performance is still a, a fantastic race. And without having Sundling as the anchor in that team sprint, who knows, maybe Sweden's fourth, right? Like that big acceleration, that big effort that Sundling had to do early in that last lap of the final is kind of what secured them the positioning to be in the medals at all. So um, great there. And then Russia, Russia. I mean, we talked about this before. When you have Stupak and Neprieva, uh, they'd almost be disappointed perhaps to come third, although all the teams were so good. And and they just, they they executed a great race to land on the podium. I felt bad for Felt bad for Finland again. Parmakowski gets another fourth place. Niskanen ski great again. Kirtu Niskanen uh, ski great. Finland skied a great sprint relay. What can you say? It was like all the pieces were there. And then Parmakowski just came up a little short, like she's come up a little short earlier in this championship. But I think it's important to say with Parmakowski is it go back the last few seasons and it's been challenging for Parmakowski, man. Big time challenging. And she's come to these Olympics right back at the elite end of the field. So I hope in time she can take a lot of confidence that whatever preparation she did for these Beijing games, she she has hit them well and she's been delivering consistent high level performances. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I, like I don't have, I don't know that I have too much to add. Uh, like I, I, uh, I've been, I was kind of running all over the place between, you know, you've got like trying to interview women and then the men's race is happening at the same time. I'm also like trying to like nail down the head of the Chinese skiing federation. So it's like a little bit of a whirlwind, but um, I mean, the German, like, I don't think we can emphasize the Germany thing enough. And it's like everybody here who is not Germany is still excited about Germany winning medals at this Olympics, like understanding that, you know, Germany, you know, a, it's just like, they've had this like real kind of down period and, and it's been hard to watch, but also like understanding how important the German market and the TV market is for the sport. And, and knowing that like, they've just been kind of in 
limbo land for for years that that you know the sport needs germany to be competitive and so i think you know i, I you know i'm hearing it from norwegian folks from americans like everyone so i think that's cool and I, I i think beyond that i don't know that i have a lot to add um beyond you know i could talk a little bit about the americans but you probably have yeah some, we got you um expert analysis yeah i know we do have to talk about the americans because yet again it was like what could have been you know like the americans had a super solid day <laughs> really like you can't say that they didn't ski solidly they did but the problem was it was 95 percent good on a day where everyone else the competition like we talked about prior to this team sprint is the teams that they were up against were so stacked so germany in one sense surprises although henning is one of the best classic skiers in the world i think technically maybe the best diagonal strider in the world so the, the course played into her favor but but aside from Germany, I mean, you have Russia that was, of course, going to be on the podium. Sweden, I thought to win, uh, they were going to be on the podium. But Finland, I really thought they'd be on the podium and they were right there. So so the U.S. on on paper coming into the race kind of needed a bit of magic. And sorry, they didn't have that magic today. And I, I think if we want to talk about discipline, and, and this is going to be tough. I mean, like, I'm not trying to be a, a, a jackass here. I understand why she was doing it. But uh, but Jesse skied a little less disciplined race than she could have. Her first two legs in the final, she was spending a lot of energy, man. A lot of energy on, on her first leg and her second leg in the final. And then in, and in the last leg of the final, when the chips are down and it's time to go, the wheels fell off three quarters of the way up that first big hill. And you saw a front row seat for an athlete that is a total legend already, a living legend, dig so deep and give everything she can. And if you look at all three of Jesse Diggins' legs, you saw beautiful classic skiing, beautiful classic skiing, offensive, driving, wanting it, going for gold, really. And on her third lap, she ran out of energy and she wasn't skiing like an Olympic medalist anymore. Her technique fell apart completely, but her will, she had still had that iron will and she dug everything she had. And the U.S. just have to hold their head up high. They tried everything they could. And Jesse and Rosie didn't just go out for a medal. They were racing to like win, it looked like. And they just didn't quite have the day to, to finish it off. And, and that's tough to see. But you also, what a position we're in, Matt. Like now we're taking the U.S. on a stacked field and we're kind of subdued that they like tried and it didn't work out. And if you go back like 15, 20 years, 20 years, let's say in the U S it was, it was the dark ages on the women's side. Like Nina Kempel was out there doing things completely by herself. Like she's the only one coming top 30 in the world cup. And now here we are uh, kind of being like, well, it was a bit of a missed opportunity. Like we've come far right. the side of things. And I, I'm, I'm proud of how they skied. I really am. I thought they skied well, but Jesse's, discipline if you were fighting for a medal she raced to win and she just didn't have it to, to finish it off but if she was going to race for a medal she didn't ski as disciplined a race as the germans did and it cost them in the last half of the last lap, lap. i i um i had kind of the same reaction i mean it's like in what in what world could we have imagined you know okay i think i think legitimately eight years ago we could kind of see the writing being on the wall but like 15 years ago being in a position where 
Jesse Diggins wins an individual goal, uh, an individual medal at, at this Olympics. And we get to the end of her six events and the team's 12 events. And we're kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's all right. She got a bronze medal, but like, you know, it would have been nice if she could have gotten more medals, you know, but that's, that's like, like, that's, that's where we're at. And it totally, totally is like a crazy testament to like what's happened with the team, but it's also the reality. And, and I mean, I think you're right about like, you know, the, I feel like the Americans here, like they, they have performed and they have like, they performed, I feel like they've kind of performed where they've been at, which is like on the podium, sometimes close to the podium, but like, you know, if they wanted to like bring home gold medals or multiple medals, it kind of took having like everything perfect. And it's like, I think, you know, Jesse yeah. today said, um, Jesse today said she thought like, you know, Rosie said her skis were good. Jesse said like her skis were fine, but could have had less kick, but that that was her fault because she asked for too much kick. You know, I do also feel like it, it just makes me wonder a little about like, could she have dropped the, 10k classic you know there it's just like there are these little details where i feel like there's room to second guess and room to doubt and i feel like it's easy to to second guess and it's easy to doubt and it's like you could make i'm sure they could have made those decisions and had the exact same results and the reality is like uh, you know i i think it's interesting it's like i feel like the usd team and jesse diggins might go home from this championships feeling a little disappointed but i also feel like i don't i think if you look at it objectively like it's not like Jesse bombed any of these, these races or Rosie bombed any of these races and came like 20th or 30th. Like they came like fourth and eighth and 13th and fifth. And it's like, those are legit results at the Olympics. Like, you know, and, and, and I think people can take those results. And I, I kind of feel like I'm taking those results for granted right now. It's like, those are really hard results to achieve and like even Norway doesn't achieve those results in at the Olympics when they really want to so you know I think it's tempting to kind of have this reaction of like oh they could have done better but they also could have done worse and they and and they didn't so you know I don't really know exactly where yeah the takeaway is no no exactly that's a great that's a great takeaway and I I think like just to push back on you like I was really pumped that Jesse Diggins started that 10k classic um you got to remember that in the Olympics, you have, you have so much time. There's 16 days. She's in the best shape of her her life. Like Jesse is in amazing form. She, she can, she can deal with the energy uh, expenditure of all these races. She's at an incredibly high level and she's prepared. The problem is that the level on the women's side is so freaking high. And like you said, for, for Norway, sorry, for the U S to take a medal in this classic team sprint, they kind of needed the magic that Germany had. Great skis, a Victoria Carl skiing, incredibly disciplined, and a Henning, a teammate that is just on fire, putting down the number one classic skier in the world today, technically, uh, uphill, uh, in a course that has a lot of glidey diagonal stride. Henning delivers and, and they come away with the gold and, and, and the U.S. just lacked that, like you said, that lacked that magic. The ski's a little tiny bit too slow um, and, and a, a Jesse that's a little too a little too fired up for the for the early rounds of, of this thing and ran out of energy at the end. But like you said, what what hats off to the American team. And let's not count Jesse out. I mean, like, I think her best individual race, other than the skate sprint, was her best individual race as well. But like the 30K skate, on courses like this, like 
this is a great race for Diggins. And, and there, if anyone's worried that, oh, this is costing her to race all these races, like it's not anymore, man. She's ready. She knows now she's got multiple days. The 30 is not till Sunday. It's only Wednesday. Like um, there's still more cheering for us to do for, for the American women and, and Rosie too. I mean, sure. A 30 K skate might not be on paper a quite as suited to a Rosie Brennan as it is to uh, Jesse Diggins, but we still have two cards in the U S women to, to come, come into this final day on Sunday and, and close this thing out. So, um, but the magic, you know, these teams like Germany or, or, or the U S they, they need a bit of magic as well to, to come home with multiple medals. And yeah, I, I agree with your, uh, with your, with your point that maybe the U S is just skiing solid skiing to their potential. Um, but uh, some magic on certain days is might be, might be missing a little bit, but that's something that's so hard to plan for. So the U S should be proud of the results and the consistency that they're able to be doing. And, and I just would also throw in, like, I feel like Rosie Brennan deserves a chapeau in your uh, native language just for like, you know, like this, this was another good shot for her. And, and she performed today. Like, you know, she was, looking, oh, yeah. I thought she was looking a totally. little stressed out on that, on that second lap in the final, but then like she handed off to one of the best skiers in the world, her teammate, Jesse Diggins in metal position. And, yeah, you know, like 100%. you can whatever, say whatever you want about like, who is on which leg, but like, you know, just like Rosie Brennan is performing at a top level and it's, and it's awesome to see, you know, I really was hoping, hoping like as a human being that like Rosie was going to be rewarded with a medal today. Like it wasn't to me, but I mean, that she can go home and, and feel like, you know, she brought her a game and did what she needed to do today. And like, that's all she could do, you know? Totally. Totally. And that's just not like, that's not like, let's not write these girls off. Like Rosie's had some, yeah okay to mediocre races at this championship but she's also had phenomenal performances with the, the individual sprint and today in the team sprint i totally agree with you she was skiing great all day and there's still a 30k skate like the door's still open and the name of the game with the 30k skate will also be disciplined because you know Teresa is going to be out there smashing and you know she's going to drill it from early in the race and how disciplined are you are you going to go for gold and see and take the chance to hang on with Teresa Yoag and try an out sprinter or something like that? Or are you going to be disciplined and go for that bronze medal or go for a personal best performance at the Olympics? Uh, you know, both those girls, Jesse and Rosie can be in that position. And, and uh, the door is still wide open also for Rosie to come away with, with some hardware. If she has a bit of that magic, if she has a bit of that Victoria Carl magic uh, on that last day of the championship, who knows, who knows how this thing ends. So it's uh it, it's exciting, even though we're kind of running out of steam, you and me, with uh, mostly you who's there, like running around. But I feel like I've got way too many balls in the air right now. And um, I'm almost ready for these Olympics to be over myself. So, um, but moving on to the men, let's move on to the men because, wow. You know what the moral of the men's team sprint was for me? And I'll tell you right now, it is mental tenacity. There was two teams out there that showed mental tenacity, mostly half of one team and a full team on the other side that showed amazing, yeah, like a, a, an amazing will after a really challenging championship. And I'll start with the champions. Norway wins the team sprint. It was textbook. The three big rate teams that we all, all talked about prior to the men's team sprint, they were the ones that were on the podium. You had Norway winning, you had Finland coming in second, and you had Russia coming in third. Uh, so they were the teams that were going to contend for this thing in the end, and they just distanced themselves in the final, and, and that was the ball game. But Canada, 
after an atrocious championship for the men somehow mentally comes out today and throws down what every athlete wants to have. Yeah, they want to have it on individual individual races. Of course they do. Uh, but if it's in a relay, if it's an individual race, whenever it is, the goal is to come to a championship and deliver a season's best performance. And the fact that not just one, but two athletes for Canada threw down a season's best performance. And yes, I said it. Tony Sear, Antoine Sear, who is, was 11th and 12th in Ruka, the performance he did today was at a better level than that. And he can go home from these Olympics with his, not just his head held high. I hope that they're really celebrating over there in the Canadian camp because fifth place might not sound like much, but when you have had the Olympics that the Canadian men have had, which has been tough, man, like really tough guys skiing poorly and to come out and deliver the performances that they did. Graham Ritchie has struggled in all his sprints this season. Uh, he hasn't had a single day that he's like, wow, this is my potential. I'm skiing to like where I can be. And today, what a performance by Richie, man. Like it was, I was really moved and I, uh, they're young. And the fact that they were able to clear their minds and just go out there and get a, and just deliver a, a race like they delivered. I think that's why I wanted to start off with it maybe people that are armchair followers of cross country skiing are like, why is Devin going on and on about Canada being fifth? Listen, man, Alex and I were fourth at the team sprint in, in uh, 2010. That's our best Olympic men's team sprint result. And these two guys first Olympics and we, Alex and I had a great they're 23. Olympics. They're 23 years yeah, they're old. 23 years old. Yeah. They're 23 years old. And Alex and I in, in Vancouver had a great Olympics. We were on this high. Every race, men were delivering amazing results. Babs is fifth in the pursuit. Uh, Alex is top 10 as like a second year senior in, in the pursuit. Like I'm fifth in the 50K, like we're killing it. And, and we come forth and these guys are getting the shit kicked out of them every fucking day. And then they come to the team sprint and they deliver a race like this at 23 years old. I'm, I'm just, I can't say enough good things. I'm so proud of them. Thanks for the cheers. It was, uh, it was a great, great performance. So what yeah, do you think about the, that? The, the, totally. And I, I mean, the, um, they, they, uh, they were kind of the like talk of the, the stadium today, you know, like the announcer was giving them props and, you know, I mean, it, 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 like, this was not like a fluke fifth place, you know, like it wasn't like, like Finland crashed and three other teams like died at the end. Like they were skiing like pros, like, like they belonged in that, in that lead pack. And, and, you know, their coach, Eric Rodden was saying like, in the in the changing room after the race like they were both kind of saying like yeah fifth place but but you know man like podium was not that far away and you know graham was sort of saying like you know he's in that lead pack on the last lap being like yep that's medal right there and and i like just you know seeing those guys like not just sort of like hanging on for dear life but like skiing with that confidence and i, I didn't realize how young they both were like they're both 23 and knowing that you know it seems like it's been a little bit of like dark days for Canada not exactly like pouring money into that program and to see those guys like deliver something like this show what kind of potential they have like with this many people watching like they had a Canadian reporter there Simon Drouin from from La Presse uh in Montreal and so like you know this is like like the pressure is on um and also only other thing I would say about uh 
well, two other things I would say. I mean, I did talk to them a little bit about just sort of how they kind of reset because uh, that was a question you had, Devin. And I mean, they basically just said, look, we we cleared our minds. We brought nothing to this race except for like our best selves. And and that was that was how it went. Um, and, and then uh, Tony said that he has has not he stopped had to stop listening to the, the Devin Kershaw show. But um had uh, maybe a year ago, but had uh, so did not listen to the last episode where Devin was, was kind of just just shitting on them a little bit. But uh, he was out training with Remy, another of, of the Canadian skiers, and um, said that he told me he was saying to Remy, like, yeah, I bet Devin is like just trashing us, you know, Canadian skiers right now um, for the results we've been having. And 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 Remy was like, uh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you, you got it. There was some other thing oh, that he God. said he thought you were saying exactly about the team, uh, maybe not about Canada, but something else you would be saying in the podcast. And it was like, it was like spot on. So maybe you've got, you guys have got like a telepathy link, but, but they both said, you know, like, I think Tony was like, we're both big Devin fans and, you know, and, and, you know, they were like, it was the truth. Like, you know, it's not like we've been kicking any ass over here. So I, I don't think there were any uh, hard feelings and, and, you know, maybe those guys end up uh, being a, a guest on the show at some point and then kind of damn right. They're going to be a guest on the show. Both those guys are going to be a guest on the show. You know it. And I mean, I've just, you know, I've worked with them a little bit at uh, world junior under 23 championships. They've shown just great potential in the careers. Like you said, 23 years old, but late in a championship, I'm just, I'm just repeating myself, which everyone's used to. It's it just, incredible especially for for tony that had such high hopes for the 15k classic and came up so short that his very next chance is another classic race and and to deliver a performance not just like skiing in the pack he was skiing with like yeah he was skiing with porama they were on the last leg of course like niskin <laughs> niskin and bullshit off like Volna's like sorry man like tony's just not at that level yet but he's skiing with porama who's been all over the top 10 of these olympics like he's skiing at just such a great level, but mostly like his technique's good. He his timing's good. His positioning's good. This is, this is how good Antoine's here is and how good he can be. And I just, I'm so proud of him to be able to have a race like this at the Olympic games. And, and yeah, Richie, same thing. Like Richie has struggled hard this year after a great season last year and a great season the year before and what people don't know about graham ritchie he grew up in a perry sandwich is an hour and a half from where i grew up in Sudbury, and, and and he was a hockey player man he was a goalie at a really high level and he came to cross-country skiing really late and the guy has not been at high level cross-country skiing for very long like as a 13 year old graham ritchie was not a cross-country skier at all like not at a 14 not at all like it was all about hockey and his progression has been amazing and i think Canada at large and people just started expecting like Richie's just going to deliver these great results, like all over the top 20 and sprints and that sort of stuff. And then this year, you know, when it hasn't been working for him, I think there's been a collective like, Oh man, but Richie was just on such a path. But today he showed what he's capable of and what he's capable of is, is those is not top 20. He's capable of racing into finals and sprints. And he's actually quite a good 15 K individual classic skier as well. And today he meshed those things two together, put those two um, characteristics together and, and delivered his best race of the season. And, and I, it's, I, I can't say enough good things of, of how mentally tough they are boys. If you're listening, congratulations. And secondly, delete this podcast from your feed immediately. You don't need to listen to this bullshit. I'm almost 40. I'm like, a dad i'm trying to learn about like 
cell signaling, like just, just stop listening to me immediately and just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it was a great performance, but the next guy changing gears, Eric Balness, also young, also crazy pressure also came into the Olympics and had two subpar performances in a row. The sprint distance, hard distance, hard in the semifinal, like what the hell happened follows that up with like 15th in a 15 K classic for Eric Valness, which is a great, his best distance race is 15 K classic. He's been all over the top five previously in this event under delivers two minutes, 12 seconds back gets left off the relay team. Norway decides to take the risk that they did by starting a unknown Emil Everson. We all saw how that worked out. Comes back today with a lot of question marks in his mind. What a tough mother, like what a tough bastard. I loved it. He skied like a total champ. He was aggressive through the entire final. Super, super aggressive. And then when the chips were down on the last leg of the men's, it was Niskanen, Bolshinov, beast moding. And we've all seen how they've been at this Olympics. Just beasting completely and Eric Valness keeps his composure and skis to his potential. I mean, his potential is best in the world. They're second best in the world behind Claybo. And that was the nail in the coffin. All three of those guys, what a shootout we had on the last lap of, for both the, the lead off and the anchors. Uh, that was what distanced Tony and, uh, and Porama was when those guys just went to town and they instantly put on like eight, nine seconds on those guys and it's because these are the best skiers in the world at their best form and Valness threw down big time and Norway better thank the, the big man from Bardufoss because he set it up and all, all Claybo had to do is just have like a pretty standard day at the office. When you're a generational talent like Claybo, who is fast becoming, you know, he, he, there's three, there's three men you can talk about in cross country skiing history uh, at the Claybo's level. And that's Bjorn Dali and it's, Petter Nortug and Claybo, his poise, his technique, the way he executes, it was textbook. And as soon as Valness handed off in that pack, like uh, with the big boys, yeah, yeah, Terentia has been good in one individual sprint, but Claybo made them all look like chumps and won in textbook fashion. And I, it was uh, it was an awesome team sprint. And Johnny Mackey, man, I'm so happy for Johnny Mackey. Yeah, Finland. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like getting the medal he was so great in the individual sprint to be fourth people don't know that don't follow the sport much they think johnny mackey is just sprinting like that's all he's good for not true johnny mackey's actually like quite good in some like lower level distance races and has had like pretty good capacity for quite some years and and the fact that he was able to hold his cool and and execute like he did to to tactfully go past terentiev like that to secure a silver medal for finland uh, I'm so happy for Johnny Mackey, man, to come away from a medal. And I'm actually really happy for Niskanen too, because Niskanen's leg in the relay, <laughs> in the relay, uh, a couple days ago was his best performance, maybe like ever as 50 K classic was a hell of a performance too. And I know he just won the 15 K classic by over 20 seconds, but what he did in the relay dude was, <laughs> was, a, was the thing of legends. And, uh, he didn't get paid back for that big effort. And today he did. And, and, uh, I'm really happy for Niskanen and, and, uh, Johnny Mackey and the Russians, you know, I know Bolshinov did a performance that deserved more than a bronze medal. He did like Bolshinov came to play, he, he skied well. He ran out of gas a little bit at the end, but it doesn't matter because he came in with contact, right? Like, like you said with Rosie too. Like, 
Bolshinov did what he had to do to give Terentiev a chance to, to take home uh, even a gold medal, although that was not going to happen with Klebo. But, but still, uh, and I, I'm sure Bolshinov is a little disappointed that they came third. But, but I think like Terentiev being so young, a big talent, comes away with an individual bronze and then a, um, a team bronze here. That, that, that's a great championship for him. And Bolshinov, here's a stat that's going to blow your mind. Eight Olympic races, eight medals. That's right. Bolshinov has never done an Olympic cross-country ski race without hitting the podium. And that streak remains alive. And that is the wildest, craziest streak ever. And the fact that he's also young shows just how consistently good uh, Alexander Bolshinov is. And, he, and he's rewarded with, uh, with the bronze. I uh, I feel like that's we have like a streak like that going with our podcast, you know, like uh, I don't know how many <laughs> podcasts we've done in a row, but basically all of the medal winning performances. Um, you know, I mean, similar feelings for uh, Yanni Mackey. Like I, I just I and, and I, like I, low key, just like you know, I mean, that was a performance by him. I mean, that you know, there there are a lot of competitive Big guys, tough. and and uh, and then um, you know, just gonna say, I mean, like man. You look at like some of the, you, you, well, you, you just look at this result. It's like Canada beat an Italy in this race. And, and I don't know. Dude. I mean, maybe I missed something in the final. Like, did they crash? Cause like on paper, the, the, the Italian team, it was like Pellegrino and DeFabiani who both like, you know, have some distance chops, like have a lot of experience. Like, I think, you know, on this course, yeah, like, and medals should have been. yeah. And medals yeah, and yeah, team yeah. sprints at international. Yeah. Totally. So, so like, just, so, I mean, I don't know what happened with them, but they, I mean, clearly like they blew up their like what 15, 20, 25 seconds out of the medals. And I, I think that, you know, just real disappointment for, for Italy with that kind of result on a day. Like totally, totally disappointment. And, and another team that, that I thought punched above their weight considering the season was again, like Porama, that's who we're getting on this podcast. Like Porama, you don't listen to this of course. And your dad doesn't either, but like, we got to get Porma on the podcast. Like he delivers another just fantastic, fantastic competition. Sweden's fourth. Who would have thought really coming into these Olympics that they'd be fourth in the four by 10 and fourth in the team sprint. Like, I don't think a lot of people, uh, Oscar Svensson, we know how good he can be. He was in the final in, in uh, Pyeongchang in the sprint and he was in the final again, uh, this year in, in the Olympic sprint. So he he's, uh, and he has world cup wins. Like he he's, he's legit, but he struggled a bit too. And, and, uh, Sweden delivered like a, a quite a solid performance. Berman has been good here too. It's yeah, like, they, Berman's you know, been they, awesome. They, like totally, totally they, the men have like bailed yeah. out the women all yeah. Yeah. And the men, I think like, and I trash the Swedish distance men a lot because they should be better than they are. But again, I just keep coming back to this at championships. The goal is to come to the championship who, no matter what the history is, no matter what the, the uh, Paul mayors of your team are, and just, just throw down your best of the year when it matters most. And the Swedish men can honestly say that as well. And I thought they were both skiing great out there. The other thing too, man, I don't know if you noticed this, but like, I noticed this in the sprint, like Johnny Mackey's toque game and Oscar Svensson's toque game, like their hat, their hat game. It's awesome. You're not into it. I love it. Like they're kicking it old school. It's cold in China, man. They're kicking it with like the wool blend toques instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of like everyone else, like Claybo, Valness and like our boys in Canada, like with like the racer, the racer spandecky toques, you know what I mean? No way, man. Johnny Mackey, what a, what a style legend too. So that was cool to see. 
I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't throwing shade. I just, I didn't, um, I, I'm not sartorially attuned enough to, to observe. Although I will say we were commenting, um, you can look on my social media feed and I think it'll, it'll probably show up on the faster skier site too. Um, ben Ogden, that guy, oh, yeah. like he's got this like retro, um, you know, has like the curls coming out from underneath his hat and then has this oh, mustache that like, the I belongs it belongs somewhere that's not at the Olympics, but today, but today he, um, you know, zero, zero degrees F minus, I don't know. That's like minus 15, 17 Celsius today, pretty chilly. And, and Ben Ogden ends up with this like full on like ice stash that, that shouldn't go down. I mean, when they do the sports illustrated Olympic ice stash edition, like Ben Ogden's on the cover and he, wins. And, he and, uh, he and JC posed for a, they, I got him to take a selfie of, of this like abominable look. And so um, if you want to, if you want to like, you know, turn like a uh, lose your appetite for dinner, go look at that on the fast exterior site. I mean, you know, this was not an Olympic style podcast, but you know, there's, there's room for that here too. So, um, oh, it, uh, it, it, pro- there, yeah, there for sure is room for that because like I've said over and over, man, like Ben Ogden is, is like a living image of like, a Bruce Springsteen power ballad. Like the guy is like, you know, he might as well have like skiing with a silver lunch pail in his hand with his pole with like a bologna sandwich in that and, an ice and coming home and coming home to like an MGD, like Miller Genuine Draft on the table for his like meatloaf and mashed potatoes that his stay at home wife made for him. Like he, he, it's just like the guy is, he's just a total beauty. So I, I agree with that. And I, I thought, I thought also too, the shout out is like the, the, the men, like the U S men to get in the final, like they did and mix it up. Um, it, it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, nice delivery. They, they put four guys in the heats, you know, in the individual sprint, which has just been so good, like under, underappreciated how good these young American men are on the sprint side of things and to come out and get yourself to mix it up in the, in the final at a championship, young guys, again, like both those guys are under 23 and uh, to deliver like they're delivering. I mean, man, like to be an American ski fan uh, for these young, these young men, like you, you gotta, you gotta look at this positively. It it, it also, I, I think important to point out, this was, I don't remember it's that was either literally Ben. I think it was JC's, but maybe it was Ben's first international level team sprint ever, which is like, are you kidding? Um, Yeah. And right to the final. Yeah. Awesome. Totally. So it's, it's awesome. I I just love, that's what I loved about the team sprint. Like I love the performance by Volness Germany. Are you kidding me? The Canadian men, like, I'm in ecstasy. It was amazing. Like it was just such a, uh, uh, so euphoric to see, to see, but like this thing had it all had so many great storylines. And I'm just, I'm just so pumped that, uh, that the North American men, especially that have been kicked around a little bit, could come back and leave these Olympics with like, not just your head held high, but with a bit of swagger, man, like you should leave these Olympics now from, from zero to hero. Like you should have swagger and be like, we belong, we can do it when the, when the, when the stars align and we ski to where we're, where we belong, we're right up into this. And it's not far from where those guys are skiing to being, being guys like, like a, a Johnny Mackey level or like a podium level in the world cup, many weeks a season. Like they're, they're not far the Americans and the Canadians when they're on form and, and they're all young. Like we can, we can cheer these guys on for another 10 years. It's awesome. 
I, I was just gonna say, I mean, um, I I also like when we talk about like how good these races were too, it's like we we've talked about this before, but like, you know, it is a shame that like we can't bring the magic of the championship team sprint like onto the world cup. And maybe, maybe yeah. it's the fact that it is so rare that makes it so special. But like, I hope that like Pierre Minuri and the brain trust at, at FIS are like, you know, thinking about like, I don't know, like, you know, maybe they just need to run it on a not dead flat city sprint course. And I will also say, I guess this upcoming weekend, maybe in a few weeks, actually in Falun, Sweden, they're about to have a, the first ever mixed team sprint and mixed relay, which like, I'm all for that. I think that'll be absolutely rad and, and props to this for trying to mix it up a little bit here and, and trying to give us some new formats that, that, you know, I, I just feel like those could actually end up being really awesome races to watch. Yeah, totally. And, and you know what, I, I'm glad you brought those races up because like, to me, this will be a controversial statement, but like, if I was Fis, I would be like, okay, the four by 10 or the four by seven and a half for the men and the four by five for the women, we're never going to have a world cup relay distance relay again. We're just going to have mixed distance relays where you have four by seven and a half K where the women do seven and a half and the men do seven and a half. And it's two and two. And you have two of those every single year, but at the championship, the men's relay and the women's relay remain. So it's a one-time thing. Every championship where the flex, like I talked about the other day, where it's your chance to show the world that our men's team or our women's team are the best in the world. And there's so much excitement and pride for the distance relay. So at the championship, keep them in the world cup, ditch them team sprint, a mixed mixed team sprint. That doesn't get me as excited to be perfectly honest, but I like what you said about having, team sprints on championship courses instead of like in Dresden or, you know, on, on courses that are flat, but I would limit the team sprint to only one team sprint a year. And I would put it at that, like two or like the three weeks before the, the championship every year. So you get a snapshot of the team sprint one world cup year. That's all you get in team sprint. Cause world cup team sprints are boring, but you put it close enough to the championship that there's a lot of excitement. Like, let's see what these teams come to the table with and then put it on a championship course. There's lots of them now in cross-country skiing. You got them in Falun, Lati, Holman, Colton. You got tons of world world uh, championship-level sprint courses. And, and, and so you can build some excitement for the team sprint at the championship because I'm with you, man. World Cup, te- world Cup team sprints suck. And championship team sprints are actually fun to watch and exciting. So uh, that's what I do. They're, they're not even just like fun and exciting. Like they, I feel like are consistently up the most among the most and, and fun and the most exciting. And, and so, yeah, totally. Um, uh, we have two races left on the schedule. We are on the home stretch of the Olympics, which let me tell you is a relief. I am like, you know, sunburned i uh am running out of masks i am like pissed at lots of things i'm still having an awesome time i had like an epic day yesterday where i like went to beijing to try to watch some sports made some really bad decisions that like led me to like a very grimy hotel that i did not mean to be at and then i missed my train and ended up like in a waiting room 
for two hours, like at dinner time with no dinner, with a bunch of grumpy Finns who were like complaining that there was no beer and yelling at the like totally helpless Chinese railway attendants. So, um, you know, it is awesome here. It will continue to be awesome. There's some fun stories that I'm still uh, chasing around, but like also it's going to be really nice to sleep in my own bed. Um, but we got two more races to go that are going to be fun races. So I don't know. I mean, anything you need to kind of highlight before we call no, it a man, night? I, I- no man, I'm I'm super pumped for the for the the races, especially Saturdays. Like, what kind of Seaman Kruger are we gonna get? I'm so psyched to see this. Like, oh my God, what a story, what a legend! Like, Kruger's such a beast. He's the best guy in the Norwegian team at altitude, always has been, and got really unlucky, but has but is here, and and we'll see. He had a whole week here in China and was skiing in Sizeram before he traveled too. So it'll be really fun and exciting to follow that. That could be, I mean, the best men's cross-country ski race performance of all time is Kruger in 2018 falling and coming last 30 seconds from last and then coming back to win. So can he repeat the magic? He, he, he most certainly could, but I'm with you, man. Like I love the Olympics. My problem is I'm like such a Dorcas that I like watching biathlon. I follow biathlon like religiously. I follow Alpine religiously, not just in the Olympics, like I'm like all through the year and I'm in med school and I have a giant exam in in like five and a half weeks and I'm burning all this time talking shit with you. And I, I just like, it's been good, but I'm ready for the Olympics to be over too. Like I gotta get my shit together and start pretending I'm excited about medical genetics because the first time around, went a little over my head and I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta get back to the grind here. Just, but, uh, I, just, I do appreciate just, everything just remember, just, just remember that when you are traveling over to ski your best Norwegian Birkebeiner in 10 years and you're coming down a hill and you break your tibia and you get to the ER in the Lillehammer hospital and Dr. Kershaw comes out, you got to be like, I need a different doctor because I know what that guy was doing when he was supposed to be studying and it wasn't studying. Exactly. And that is a very, very important takeaway. And it's funny that you used uh, an orthopedics case because, you know, who knows what it'll be when I'm finally done. I'll probably be dead of a heart attack. I'll probably never come to the finish line of this education. But if I do, orthopedics is something I'm thinking about, but we'll see what it is at the end. And two, funny you said that the lecture i skipped this morning because of the team sprint was bone tissue that's right histo bone tissue and i skipped it so when you break your leg in the wait a minute tenders, wait a minute we we gotta we gotta nor norwegian med school is scheduling lectures during the olympic team sprint like what kind of fucking medical school is this and who is running yeah. it Here's what I'll tell you, man. Nobody that I have met so far in medical school gives one shit about sports. They do not care. Like people I have never met like a collection of people that are so disinterested in sport in my entire life. I was studying physiotherapy in Norway last year. And like, man, like I had the best conversations with students about like soccer, about like high jump, about everything like crossfit like people were like so crazy about so many different sports they're just loving it and in medical school here in norway i like try and bring up sports it's like hey did you see like the champions league game yesterday and they're like huh i'm like yeah there was like a huge football like it's like um quarterfinal or like eighth finals going on it's like nope nothing is like skiing nope uh biathlon nope alpine nope i'm like oh my god so uh, i can rest assured old europe 
that's what this medical school is. And University of Oslo Medical School is old Europe. And in old Europe, it's like, memorize all this shit and you got to give your life to it. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to doing that again after the Olympics are over. But I, I've got to get off the get off the horn with you right now and hit the books, watch the lectures. Thankfully, they recorded them. Thankfully, they recorded them. So I'm going to spend the next five hours like uh, trying to learn bone tissue and histo slides of bone. So that'll be fun. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 